From Libby Gardner Hall on the University of Utah campus, this is Highway 89. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Today, we are featuring music that's part of the Nova Chamber Music Series. That's Utah's oldest chamber music series, established clear back in 1977 and has been going ever since. A great blessing to all of us who live here in the area. We are spending an evening with two master keyboardists this evening, and I cannot wait to introduce them, get to talk with them, and especially to share some incredible music. First is Richard Elliott. He is the principal tabernacle organist in the Salt Lake City Tabernacle and organist with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. I'm sure you have a few questions pop into your mind just listening that you'd let. We hope we'll ask some of those. Also, Jason Harding, artistic director of the Nova Chamber Music Series and principal symphony keyboard of the Utah Symphony. Richard Elliott, thank you for speaking with us today. Thank you, Stephen. Great to be with you. You know, I'm going to give just a a little bit more in-depth intro. You're, You're a native of Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, you're a student, a former student of the Peabody Conservatory, the Catholic University of America. You've earned your bachelor's from the Curtis Institute of Philadelphia, master's and doctoral degrees from the Eastman School. You have a good musical pedigree, let's say that. I guess so. I just got lucky that way. It was nice to grow up in Baltimore and have some some great... uh uh, institutions nearby, and, and uh, including the Baltimore Symphony. My parents were subscribers, and so uh, that was one of the things that uh, gave me a, a, a taste for classical music when I was young. Did you always know you were into music? I read that you played in a band. Right. I, I loved all kinds of music, and I inherited that from my, my parents and my grandparents. Uh, they all loved all kinds of music. Uh, but I don't think I'd really decided to become a professional musician until I was well into college. I just started out thinking, maybe I can do this. But uh, it, w- it wasn't until I was in my mid-20s that I finally settled down and thought, this is, really? this is what I'm really going to do. And was it organ? Uh, at that time? I, I actually majored in organ in, in, uh, as an undergraduate, thinking that I would become a studio musician and, and that I would play in a church on the weekends and then uh, uh, pound the pavement during the week looking for studio work. But then the organ just kind of uh, caught hold, and, and I decided that I really did love the instrument and wanted to make it my career. Well, lots of folks who will see you playing the tabernacle organ or the organ in the conference center in Salt Lake City know your skill. But I don't think everybody knows your sense of humor. So you have to confirm a story that I was told by a former choir member. Okay. <laughs> which was they were rehearsing for the uh, a Tabernacle Choir performance. You were at the organ. And they, they started lowering the chandeliers to dust them. And you started playing... Bum, 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 the Phantom of the Opera theme. Yeah, you've got it right, except we actually, we had the cast of Phantom there in the tabernacle when that happened. It was on a Sunday morning, and they were performing at the Capitol Theater, and I had prearranged with the lighting <laughs> technician to have the chandeliers lowered when they announced our, our special guests, and then I, I launched into those chords. Well, and recently you got to play with such notables as Big Bird Burton, Ernie, and the Muppets. I mean, is this anything like what you had in mind when you thought, I'm going to be an organist? No, not at all. This is not typical for any organist, and, uh, and it's been a great, great experience. And uh, I feel actually lucky that, it, that I had a varied background doing all kinds of music and playing it uh, on the Wanamaker organ in Philadelphia, the world's largest organ, because it, it really helped uh, prepare me for some of the experiences that, that I've had with the choir, uh, which have been all over the map as far as the musical styles and uh, um, uh, where the people are from and, and uh, uh, the kinds of things that the, the music involved as far as visual elements and all the other production elements. Some folks would say that is the organ in the U.S., the Wanamaker. It's certainly, it's the largest functioning pipe organ right now. They're trying to get the one in Atlantic City uh, back up and running because originally that was the largest. But the Wanamaker organ is is huge and it's a great uh, cultural institution and it's it's definitely uh, on every organist's uh, radar as far as being an instrument that they want to hear at least once in their lifetime and play if, if they have a chance. So when you play, do you ever miss that organ? 
having that much uh, power at your disposal, I guess, is the I, I don't think I really miss it that much because it actually had some limitations because of the size and because of the fact that it's in such a strange place. We had to deal with cash registers ringing and, and the buzz of the crowds. And it was a fun environment, uh, but it, it uh, was frustrating at times. And, uh, and the organ itself was really, um, it's so large, it, it can't play things like, like I'll be playing on this program, the Bach, Pasakai, and Fugue. You just couldn't pull, pull a piece like that off on that instrument. Well, I do want to talk about this music and introduce it before you play it. But, but first, uh, uh, something really struck me from an interview that you gave some time ago, which is talking about trying to maybe save the reputation of the organ from just being the scary music or the creepy music. Right, right. That's, that's, uh, is that from the days of silent films? I think that started the trend because before then, you know, in the early part of the 20th century, the organ was the main municipal instrument in cities that did not have a, a, a symphony orchestra. They had a resident organist and a, and a municipal organ, and they, the organist would play Wagner transcriptions and uh, all kinds of other orchestral works and handle choruses without the choir. And um, so, yeah, it seems like during the silent era, there were so many of these horror movies, and that was the easiest uh, thing. And, and even since the, the silent movie era, uh, a lot of the organ has been typecast, certainly in the public eye in, in movies and TV shows as uh, an instrument that's associated either with you know, f boring funeral music or, or, uh, or with uh, macabre elements. Well, when I grew up, there were still organ music in roller skating rinks. Yeah. Just a couple of years, I remember, up, uh, it, a town not far from here, and, and so I had really great associations. It, exactly, and, and hockey uh, arenas, uh, sports arenas of all kinds, baseball da, 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 stadiums. Da, da, da. Exactly, yeah, but it's really changed a lot. Uh, that, those organs are almost all silent now, and uh, they have all pre-recorded music in, in mm. those arenas. So, uh, so we're kind of relegated to concert halls and churches, but there's been a renaissance in recent years of interest in the organ as a, as a concert instrument and as a serious instrument. Were you always able to coordinate all four limbs? I mean, drummers and organists, to me, are amazing because of what's going on in your brain and your body, to, to use both feet and both hands. I think, yeah, when I played the piano as a kid, I would, my feet would always be going tapping, and maybe that, that helped me so that when I, <laughs> I took up the organ at 15, it was a little easier to me move my feet in, in time with my hands. But I never really thought about that. Well, you're going to be performing a beautiful piece by Bach from actually early in his career as a writer, I understand. Uh, tell me why you chose this one. The, I, the truth of the matter is that Jason Hardink, who's also performing on, on the concert and is uh, as the director for Nova, requested that piece. And we had originally talked about some other composers, but finally when he brought up that, it clicked for both of us. And uh, we felt that it was a good fit for this program. And um, it's, it's one of my favorite Bach pieces of all time because... Uh, it's it's fairly long it's about 15 minutes long and uh, that actually gives one license to do more with the piece even though there are purists who think that Bach should be played all on one sound from beginning to end but to me that's that wasn't Bach's intent and it's um, it certainly does uh, harm to the audience's enjoyment of the piece and understanding of the piece uh, and and also to, to my uh, feelings about the, the work so I'll be taking a, doing a lot of things as far as changing the registrations which you don't often do with with the works of Bach you usually play or set it up and then play uh, because a lot of people feel that that's what he would have done in his days he didn't have all of these registrational aids to change mm. the stops in uh, in the middle of the piece um, but we can do that now and uh, so each variation there are 20 variations in the Pasakaya each one uh, has a different uh, a different sound or registration so a work like this he would have written for a concert setting that's, there's a lot of speculation about this. It certainly isn't a, a church prelude or postlude. It just wouldn't fit in, in the typical uh, services that Bach would have played. And uh, some people think that, like other Bach works, that maybe it was never even intended to be performed at all. It was just an exercise. But I can't imagine that. I'm sure that he imagined it being played on, on, on an organ in a certain setting. But uh, in his situation at that time, I'm not sure uh, where it would have uh, fit as far as its, its uh, appropriate setting. 
The Pasacalia flows right into the fugue, and just before we have you play this, fugues, uh, I mean, there's another mental exercise, talking about playing with all your limbs, writing like this. Do you think this was carefully plotted out on paper first by Bach, or do you think he actually improvised fugues at times? He certainly, he was capable of improvising fugues. We know that. This particular piece is so dense, it's actually what's, uh, it's, it's, uh, has, two counter subjects that are always going in tandem with the the, uh, the theme of the fugue and something like that is very very difficult to improvise so I suspect that the entire work was kind of mapped out although it's very very clear that he also based this on some improvisations and uh, the theme itself of the fugue is uh, uh, some people believe he borrowed from a French uh, organist André, André Rasson uh, who uh, wrote a, a piece for a mass that was based on this, uh, this little musical motif. Well, we've held off as long as we can. We have to hear the music. We'll let you take your place at the organ here in Libby Gardner Hall. This is Richard Elliott, principal tabernacle organist in Salt Lake City, performing Bach's Pasacalia and Fugue in C minor.
That was Passacaglia and Fugue in C Minor by Bach, performed by Richard Elliott, principal tabernacle organist. Richard, to me, that's almost like you just did magic tricks. It almost doesn't seem possible that somebody can do that. It's just amazing. Well, and I'm in awe of Bach and what he did with that simple, uh, it's just an eight-bar uh, theme that starts out in the Pasakaya in the pedal, and then it, it gets adopted as the fugue theme. But it's, uh, it's, it's, he took ideas from other composers, but he did what nobody else could do with it. So that's magic to me. I, you can tell me if you're comfortable answering this. Uh, I don't mean to be too personal, but uh, Bach often used, he, he wrote SDG on his work, Soli Dei Gloria, to the glory of God. In some ways, I wonder if that's what you've done with your career, because do you ever think, man, I could have had this organ soloist career, but, but, but I'm stuck with these 350 people that I go everywhere with. Does that ever go through your mind? No, the, it's the opposite. We feel like we've already been to heaven, and so we, we wonder what's in <laughs> store for us, because uh, playing that organ in the tabernacle and, and the one in the conference center and accompanying the choir is, is just a taste of heaven. So, uh, But at the same time, yes, I, I do feel um, when I'm playing uh, music, especially like this Bach piece, uh, the last thing on my mind is is showing off uh, my technique, and uh, and so I try to remind people that every often that if if a, a performer is playing Bach, most likely they're humbled by the experience of of being. Uh, um, so intimate with that that great great music and uh, it doesn't make you feel like you're better than anybody else it actually makes us feel that uh, we have a long way to go and but we're grateful uh, for the the inspiration that that uh, contributed to that music thank you for uh, the years of training and the hard work that uh, let you share that with us that's magnificent and we're grateful to the uh, nova chamber music series for helping make this possible that we could speak with you and and hear this performance richard elliott thank you so much thank you Stephen. it's been a great great pleasure from libby gardner hall on the university of utah campus this is highway 89 as i mentioned at the beginning we're bringing you an evening of two master keyboardists tonight we just heard from richard elliott principal tabernacle organist and next we'll be hearing from pianist jason harding He's the artistic director of the Nova Chamber Music Series, and we have him and them to thank for this performance. He's also the principal symphony keyboard of the Utah Symphony. We'll be hearing music by Messian that he'll be performing first a very early work when he was still a student. This is one of his preludes.
pianist Jason Hardink performing a prelude by Olivier Messiaen. He's a composer whose work is being featured by the Nova Chamber Music Series. And we're grateful to have you here, Jason. I mentioned already that you are the artistic director for the Nova Chamber Music Series, as well as being the uh, principal pianist, keyboardist. I guess that could be various keyboards. It, for it the is Dustin, various it, keyboards, definitely. From Tchaikovsky with Celeste's and yeah. everything else. Thank you for making time to play for us and to speak today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So the Na Nova Chamber Music Series, Utah's oldest chamber music series, going continuously since 1977. You've been at the helm since 2009. Mm -hmm. What is the, a, mis a mission statement for that? Is there a certain type of music or performer that you want to feature on a, no a NOVA program? Definitely. Our mission is uh, very Utah-centric, actually. We're designed as a forum or venue for Utah composers and musicians. So aside from the occasional guest artist, we really um, work hard to make this all about Utah. Well, as is evident in this program, we just heard Richard, Richard Elliott play, then you're performing. Right. So how uh, the music of Messiaen, mm -hmm. this is really interesting to me because he is, he's sort of a composer with ties to the past. I mean, he studied with people that we just, you know, we could name off their names as, as great French composers. He lived till 1992. He's, right. he's all but a contemporary. Sure. And so when you play early music, like what you just played, that prelude, do you hear something different than what he wrote years and years later? I do. I mean, the thing is, he eventually became um, a, a kind of a revolutionary figure in Paris. By about 1950, he, you know, when he wrote the four etudes of rhythm, um, which caused this whole new way of thinking, and, and people like Boulez and Stockhausen studied with him, and he was kind of the, the, the kind of grandfather figure of this new generation mm. of modernism. Um, but he never really, in any of his music, leaves, um, forgets his sort of mystical, mystic Catholic roots, which is sort of, you know, a celebration of, of life and, and nature and religion and all those things. So there's always a very celebratory quality to it. And music. he was a church organist for something like 60 years, Ab if I recall. Yeah, that's his instrument, is the organ. Yeah. So these pieces for piano, we're going to be hearing something from a huge work, 20 different movements. Have you heard this all performed in one ever? Oh, I've played the whole thing. Oh, you have yeah. played it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I love this music, so... Um, so you need a little Gatorade before you begin? Well, to... <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it is kind of like an athletic event. I mean, you're, you get tired physically. Your arms hurt after. <laughs> so the piece, I'm going to uh, hopefully not slaughter it. Vain regard sur l'enfant Jésus. Great. Which is uh, contemplations, one translation. Yep. Uh, 20 contemplations on the infant Jesus. Right. So he, he took all these little facets of this one event and... and Right. It's like 20 different, it's like the, the nativity scene from 20 different points of view. Um, so like, for instance, in the movement I'm about to play, uh, the contemplation of the angels, it's the angels sort of watching this act happen. And um, these angels aren't like the angel on your Christmas tree. They're more kind of old school, Old Testament, biblical angels. They're sort of terrifying um, kind of tremendous beings. Mm. Um, and they're... That's why they have yeah, to say, fear not. Right. Because everybody does. Yeah, and they're, they are filled with awe at this, at this miracle of, of um, Christ. And they're, the, the whole point of this movement is about, about awe. And so it's not a, like a pretty kind of awe. It's kind of the stupendous, like looking at the Wasatch Mountains and being kind of bowled over. Mm. Let's hear it. Okay. Let's hear this work. Right. We're going to hear the contemplation of the angels. This is uh, number 14 of this 20 movement work by Olivier Messiaen.
the contemplation of the angels. That's from the 20 movement work by Olivier Messiaen. And I think it's pretty interesting, Jason, that some film composers might take the image of something otherworldly beyond our understanding happening and put it with music that we totally understand immediately. Okay, sure. But in, in his case, he seems to say this is beyond our understanding, and he uses music that for f folks who have only focused on regular meter, regular, I guess, uh, ton tonality. Sure. Interesting that he, he tries to use something outside of our Western music experience. Oh, that's an interesting way to put it, because he was definitely about... In his treatises on, on composition, Olivier Messiaen always talks about the charm of impossibilities, and that is of writing types of music that um, engage our experience with the mystery of life and the mystery of experience and not having it always be a direct, obvious thing that we immediately understand. Hmm. That's very perceptive. Well, for your Nova Chamber Music Series, I also notice for upcoming performances that it's not just one artist coming in for the whole evening. In fact, uh, for the music we're hearing uh, today, you'll be featuring a soprano with piano, right. a, a, a children's choir mm -hmm. from the choristers from the Madeline School of Music, and, yep. and, and the organ. So is that part of what you're trying to do is bring this diversity of different artists all together? Different, yeah, different types of music and different types of timbres for uh, the audience. Um, I, I just think the more... I mean, it's, it's not a contrived thing for me, but to have all these different sounds in one concert, I think, is, is just for a really fun afternoon. <laughs> uh, I should point out that you've been an adjudicator and a guest recitalist for the Gina Bachauer International Piano Competition held here in Salt Lake City, mm -hmm. the Oberlin International Piano Competition. And you've been a guest artist for the University of Utah Summer Chamber Work Workshop, and you hold a DMA from Rice University, and you did your doctoral thesis on a subject concerning Messiaen. Tell me about this. Okay. Um, it's funny, because I went looking for my thesis in the basement the other day, and I couldn't find it. I'm not sure what <laughs> happened. <laughs> but I found a copy online. It's out there. There's nothing I can do about it. I chose to write about the influence and the importance of plain chant in the music of Olivier Messiaen. Um, I expected it to be, I expected the thesis to just be, uh, oh, look, in this piece, he quotes this chant, isn't that nice, look how he changes it. But it turned out to be a more fundamental study of the very, the very rhythms and, and types of melodies and plain chant forms that um, influence the essence of what Messiaen's music is all about. That's what I wasn't expecting to find. Now, some plain chant... That's not strictly 3-4, four, 4-4. Four, four. No, Any the rhythm is, is very irregular, and I think that's no where... No bar lines. Exactly. <laughs> and like in the song cycle we're doing on Sunday, or some of these uh, vent regard, uh, it's like that. There's no bar line for the, the rhythm is just irregular and ongoing. So uh, I'm not sure. You're playing either the Virgin's First Communion or Contemplation of the Prophets for our next piece? Uh, the, the First Communion, Okay. Yes. What should we listen for this? This is uh, mostly a very meditative, introspective movement. Um, the, the piece starts off with this theme that reoccurs in the cycle of the, these 20 movements. It's the, what Messian called the, you know, the theme that represents God. Um, and in this setting, it's a very so, slow, contemplative um, version of the melody over which these kinds of shy uh, melodies in, in, the, in the upper part of the piano represent Mary's devotional and, and, and sort of can't believe that this, this thing has happened. But this, this movement also um, includes uh, a sort of version of her Magnificat, which um, this sort of song of joy and thanks. So in the middle section of the movement, it erupts into this really kind of wild dance-like uh, jubilant uh, figure. And then, of course, recedes at the end back to the, into the sort of shy, respectful way that it started. Let's hear the piece. So Jason Harding, our pianist here, he'll be performing, uh, this is the 11th of the 20 movements from Vent Regard by Olivier Messiaen. This is the Virgin's First Communion.
Jason Harding, the pianist, performing number 11 from the 20-section work Vendregard, or roughly translated, 20 Contemplations on the Infant Jesus, a piece he composed in 1944. We are grateful to our master keyboardists this evening, both of them, Richard Elliott, who is principal keyboardist for the Tabernacle Organ, and also Jason Harding, artistic director of the Nova Chamber Music Series and principal symphony keyboard of the Utah Symphony. We're so grateful to the Nova Chamber Music Series for making this possible. And you can check them out online. See their performing schedule at novaslc.org. Grateful to each of our performers. And we love to hear from you, our listeners. You can send comments and questions via email to highway89 at byu.edu. Highway 89 is a production of BYU Broadcasting in Provo, Utah. The recording engineer is Mark Waite. Our producer, Jackie Tataishi. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Thanks for listening.